the year is 1994. And you got a murder podcast, you got interview podcast, you got a comedy podcast, you got a politics podcast, you got a sports podcast, and even a podcast about Forrest Gump. Hey everybody, welcome to Unspooled. Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson. And I am Paul Shear, and this is the podcast where each week we watch one film from the AFI Top 100 Greatest Films of All Time list, the 2007 edition, to see if they really are as good as people say. Do they hold up, and how have they influenced the films we watch today? Amy, this week we're going to be talking about Forrest Gump. Uh, last week we talked about Grapes of Wrath, but before we even get into uh, Grapes of Wrath and kind of recapping what people thought about it, I wanted to ask if you saw an op-ed written by Martin Scorsese in this week's New York Times about Marvel movies. Paul? Yes. We're not doing this again. Okay. Well, they're uh, (laughs) fair enough, fair enough. But last week we talked about Grapes of Wrath, and it really seemed to resonate with a lot of our listeners. I think they found themselves, uh, like we did, kind of surprised at how, you know, topical this movie felt and how alive it was. Yeah, a lot of people listening to the podcast who watch Grapes of Wrath thought about how this film could be so relevant still today. You know, like at Moop 2000, who said, just listen to the Grapes of Wrath episode. A new version should be made about the modern migrant farmers, immigrants, legal and illegal, illegal, who travel to farms and work hard to help their families. It would reinforce its relevance. And also from Facebook, Kyle Keppen said while watching this movie, they could not get Walking Dead out of their head. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That he, Kyle asks, "Can I, I can't be the first person to make this connection. Tom is away while sweeping changes happen, leaving his community desolate. His clan is forced to move from town to town to find basic necessities, while everyone they meet seems to have lost their humanity. He said that the movie, he feels like, also had some of the downfalls of that show eventually that we're just seeing suffering heaped on people. Wow. You know, I, I was watching the, the movie and thinking, you know – Yes, this would be so much better with zombies, uh, just like our friend Kyle said. But then I realized it was already made. That's right. Uh, Rob Lichter, Rob from L.I., uh, writes that um, there is a movie called Grapes of Death made in 1978 about a young woman who discovers wine made from contaminated grapes that turn people into decomposing zombies. I don't think it has any more similarities than a title that's a little bit uh, punny. No, but maybe we should watch it to find out. And Amy, um, you know, this week we are talking about Forrest Gump. And there are some interesting similarities uh, between Grapes of Wrath and Forrest Gump. And one of them is that Bruce Springsteen seems to have uh, strong opinions about both. Um, last week you brought up that the uh, album Ghost of Tom Joad was inspired uh, in part by Grapes of Wrath. And there's also a song on this album uh, that is inspired by Forrest Gump. It seems like Bruce Springsteen uh, thought that Forrest Gump made a mockery of the working man and wrote the last song on the album about him. So thank you, Martin T., that's Mark and uh, Till Vist, for bringing this to our attention. But take a little listen to uh, this anti-Forrest Gump song. Now life's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Stupid is as stupid does and all the rest of that shit. Come on, pretty baby, count my blood. Cause we Wow, Bruce Springsteen taking a shot at Tom Hanks. <laughs> Luckily, we're going to go a lot easier on the film. Wouldn't you agree, Amy? 
Yeah, you especially. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's not uh, tease it any longer. Um, Amy, let's get into a discussion about this week's feature presentation. The year is 1994, and boys to men will make love to you, okay? The Beastie Boys invent the word mullet. True crime stories include the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman, the attack on Nancy Kerrigan, and the arson of Lisa Left Eye Lopez's mansion. We have the first appearance of Friends, Beanie Babies, and the band Korn. Uh, It's also the year that... Yahoo, Amazon, and the PlayStation came onto the scene. Green Day starts a mud fight at Woodstock 94, and Nelson Mandela is elected president of South Africa. In his inauguration speech, he says, never, ever again will this beautiful land experience the oppression of one by another. Hot flicks include The Lion King, Pulp Fiction, The Shawshank Redemption, and today's film, Farce Gump. It comes in at 76 on the AFI 2007 Top 100 list, having dropped from its place at 71 on the list in 1997. Amy, who's in it? What's it about? Forrest Gump, it is the story of several decades in American history as seen through the eyes of a man who doesn't quite comprehend any of it. That man being Forrest Gump, he's played by Tom Hanks. His mother, Mrs. Gump, is played by Sally Field. The love of his life is played by Robin Wright as Jenny Curran. And he's got friends played by Michael T. Williamson and Gary Sinise as, respectively, Bubba Blue and Lieutenant Dan Taylor. Uh, this movie is directed by Robert Zemeckis, a man who we mentioned a lot on this list as should be on here for things like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. This was known at the time for being very technologically advanced, for being able to put Forrest into situations where he's, you know, shaking hands with President Nixon. It is written by Eric Roth, and it is based on a really interesting novel from 1986 by an ex-veteran named Winston Groom, who wrote it as more of a darker satire on America than the movie ultimately turned out to be. Well, Amy, I think there's two ways to talk about Forrest Gump. One, I think we can say this movie is well-acted, well-made, with a breakthrough in technology. It's it's a feel-good film. It makes you feel better and smarter having watched it. You know, it reminds you of the music of our past. It, it really is just a a simple and fun film. That's one way we could talk about this movie. I don't necessarily want to talk about this movie in that way. Whoa, Paul Shear is like a box of chocolates, except every chocolate is a piece of dynamite. <laughs> no, I, I think watching this movie now, so many years after I watch it, and this came out for me uh, when I was in high school. When you and... were slow dancing to Boys to Men, I assume. Exactly. Well, I mean, look, the, the best song of all time, and we know <laughs> it. I actually saw them perform that live at the Longshot premiere, and it was... Uh, it really brought the house down in a way that Boys to Men still got the goods. They do. I saw them perform live at the Inglewood Forum many, many years Oof. ago. And they uh, they have reconfigured, and Bobby Brown was also there, so they did some new editions. It was very wow. insane. I think my mind in watching this as a child didn't question anything. And I'm like, this is Vietnam. This is AIDS. I get it. Like, I'm understanding Watergate. It was a movie that exposed me to many things. And now as I've grown as a person and revisited this movie, woof, wow, what is going on in this movie? (laughs) I mean, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense for being young when you watch this film. It is a survey of all of the things that our parents seem to care about that we weren't really alive for. Yeah. You know, which is, I I mean, Winston Groom's kind of his whole thing. He wrote a couple novels. He wrote this. He wrote a sequel to Forrest Gump, which we'll get into later. Yes. But what he really did is he wrote a lot of very serious, to-be-taken-seriously, and well-regarded history books. He's a military history guy. Interesting. I didn't know that. And, you know, you were saying that the, the book has a darker tone. This movie is so light 
And I think one of the things that really jumped out at me, and we'll get into the nitty gritty of it as we go on, is how this movie sidesteps everything controversial. It really doesn't make a statement on much of anything. You know, it, it's it's a very um, cliff notey, whitewash version of history. To know that Winston Groom is a historian, this movie must have driven him up a wall because I, I, I think it, it it paints a really detrimental picture, especially the way Vietnam is kind of this like sliced in there and the reaction to Vietnam. I'm like, I was sitting at home last night just going, what the fuck am I, what is going on? I mean, the movie makes no sense, but when they pull Forrest Gump on stage and Abby Hoffman's like, hey, you get up here. Why? He's never met him. And then he gets up there and he's about to say something about the war and his mic cuts out and you don't even hear what he says. How do you back, like, you what? So you were saying, like, like this movie doesn't even want to make a statement about Vietnam, and then Abby Hoffman's like, hey, man, you said it the best. I'm like, what the fuck? Fuck you, movie. By the way, you know what he said? His mic gets pulled, and what he said was, oh, sometimes when people go to Vietnam, they go home to their mamas without any legs, and sometimes they don't go home at all. That's a bad thing, and that's all I got to say about that. You think that Abby Hoffman was like, oh, I'm jizzing all over this. No, Forrest, you speak the truth, man. No, bullshit. Forrest can't even have an opinion about Vietnam, but we can't even hear it. We can't even hear it. I mean, allegedly the story is they tried to write a speech and they just couldn't come up with one. They tried to make him, they tried to have him give a funny speech, right? Uh So he's been a long time trying to write a funny speech. I think they kicked it to like... Billy Crystal and Billy Crystal was oh, charged with writing a what? funny speech for Forrest's Day. And nothing they came up work. So then they tried to come up with a funny sincere speech. speech. Yeah. They couldn't make a sincere speech that worked. And then they're just like, yeah, this movie, we don't have anything to say anyway. Because oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the way I think of Forrest Gump is it's a movie that's told like a fable, except it doesn't have any moral. You know, there's yes. nothing to learn about it, but it just has the air of being a fable. Well, I wrote- but I do watch, when I was watching that scene again today, I was like, man, there's a line of vets who actually want to talk. Yes. And they're who, right there. And they got in line the and he just cut in front. The happenstance of this movie is crazy. Talk about a passive character. I mean, and I was thinking about this, like, is it a folktale? Maybe. But as far as like story structure is concerned, what is the story of this movie? This character, I mean, I guess you can say he grows. I don't think he grows, honestly. I mean, like, I, I'm looking at this movie and I was really thinking about it. Like from minute one to the end, Things happen to him. He walks through things. But it's like his character, and through no fault of Tom Hanks. By the way, I love Tom Hanks. I'm, I'm all in. Bridge of Spies, I'm in. I'm like, I, I like you got Bridge my, of Spies? You got my like, money. That was the first one that came out of your mouth. <laughs> well, you know, why, you know why Bridge of Spies comes to me? Because um, I had gotten the screener at home. <laughs> and everything I do with my wife requires at least seven viewings to get through one movie. And she fell asleep through Bridge of Spies like no less than six times. So I watched Bridges Buys like six times in a row. And I was like, I'm watching this movie. I went from like going like, eh, it's all right. To like, then by the sixth time, I was like, I love Bridges Buys. I'm like, I don't even know. Like he just like soaked in. I just think that, I think that uh, Tom Hanks is a great performer and I I love Bosom Buddies. <laughs> I love the man with one red shoe, big, all this stuff. So I'm big in. Big was what I was thinking about watching this because I just watched it twice on a plane because oh, it was wow. really slim pickings on the plane and okay. I love Big. So yeah. I was like, I watched it twice because it's great. And I mean, there's some parallels here between Forrest Gump and Big. Oh, interesting. You know, Big is about a young kid who magically becomes like 
old overnight. Right. Gets a job. And it's about, you know. He doesn't become old. He becomes big. He becomes big. Fine. He becomes old looking. (laughs) He becomes mature looking. Yes. Yes. He becomes adult. Adult. And um, it's about his innocence kind of reflecting against this adult world. Right. Which I think there's a lot of that here. Like here's an innocent man bouncing around this adult world that he doesn't make sense of. And in a way, I think the movie, no, not even the movie. In a way, I think the novel is supposed to say an innocent man can see clearly, even if he doesn't absorb it, how screwed up America is. Mm. You know, he ping pongs around through all these crazy disasters. He gets to bounce it back at us. And he wanted this character, by the way, like Winston Groom, when he wrote the novel, his Forrest Gump is a dude who's like 6'6". Okay. Very overweight. He's written to be kind of oh, a giant. So kind he of like, a Confederacy of Dunces version yeah, of Forrest Gump. Yeah. The person that Winston Groom wanted to star in Forrest Gump from the 80s was he wanted John Candy. I was just going to say John Candy would have been yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted like a John Candy type of figure. Somebody who, but picture like the things that Forrest Gump does being played by somebody who has that sinister quality that John Candy can bring to stuff. Mm. You know, where he's a friendly guy, he's approachable. Hey, I'm cool. I'm a little dumb when I will need to be. I'm loud. But you don't trust him, you know, the way that you trust a Tom Hanks character to always be good and always do the right thing. Well, I mean. And I think like a John Candy or even the other people they considered for this role. I mean, like John Travolta, Sean Penn. Wow. You know, the, the people they thought might be good for this who said no. Chevy Chase. Chevy John, Chase. John Goodman. Harry yeah. Anderson. Oh, Harry Anderson. Yeah. Bill Murray even as a Forrest Gump. Imagine all of those people would have made this Forrest Gump character someone you cannot totally trust. But they cast Tom Hanks, who is a person that America will always trust with anything. But that's Tom Hanks, the actor. Like, I think the way. That's the choice to put him in the movie. Right. But I mean, the way the character's written, though, there's no ambiguity on him at all. Like, I mean, and this is what I'm talking about, like, about the growth of the character. There's no growth of the character because the character is written, not, I don't know about the novel, but in this film. To not grow, like well, literally right. not grow. It's like it's it's big. There is a growth there. Like I mean, a physical and and also like a mental growth. But here, like the character is kind of just locked in amber, and and he is being pushed around, and it's and and it's a bummer because he is going through all this sort of stuff, but it doesn't really uh, affect him. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think the most he gets to is a sort of dim awareness. That there might be some meaning to the things of his life. He becomes right. aware that there's a question, but he doesn't become aware so much of the answer. I mean, well, here, let's even listen to him explain it at the very end of the film. I don't know if Mama with a ride or if, it, if it's Lieutenant Dan. I don't know if we each have a destiny or if... We're all just floating around accidental like on a breeze. But I, I think maybe it's both. Maybe both is happening at the same time. I mean both is kind of the I took your mic out of the out of the <laughs> PA system answer. You're like, yeah, yeah I'm going to go with both sides on this. Well, that's, you know, it's a little bit too little, too late. It's sort of like, I don't buy this from this character after I've spent two and a half hours with him. I just don't. This is a character who, when telling a story about Lieutenant Dan, goes, he locked to exercise his arms. And that's how he talks about drinking. It's like, well, look, at, first of all, 
You're right. So you're at this base level of knowledge that you that you're telling this to, uh, now. Like, so you're saying he likes to exercise his arms. Like, you couldn't, like, if he said, like, oh, he had a drinking problem. If you if you acknowledge, if you showed him at any point starting to acknowledge things differently, I mean, but no, the voiceover is saying he liked to exercise his arms. You know, it was like, I realized he actually had a problem with bottles. I, I would even take that. But, like, I don't take the guy who's saying that he liked to exercise his arms is this, and, and, no, you're right. That's a good point because he's telling us a story now and he has no perspective on it, which is right. weird because some of the things you would hope he would have any understanding on it now by things that happen later. Like to me, the big one that we see very early on is that Jenny, his love is life, was molested by her dad. Yes. Which he does never, he never really seems to comprehend. He, she doesn't like to go home. She yes. throws, he sees her be angry. He doesn't, he never picks up on it. Even when they go back as adults, yes. she throws rocks at the windows. He never understands what happened to Jenny. And as a result, when I first saw this movie when I was a kid, I didn't understand what happened to Jenny. Oh, I mean. Like going back and watching it and being yeah. like, oh my God. Felt I, like, I, I felt very gumpy. Well, because he goes, he locked to hug her a lot and kiss her. And I was like, and I, and I wrote down, like, this movie is dark. This is a dark movie. It's like like one of the opening scenes is like the school principal hard fucking his mom. And I'm sorry I'm cursing so many times in this podcast. But like that's a crazy scene to show in a PG movie. Yeah. Like a little kid outside his mom's window listening to, you know, his mom, Sally Field, get just railed by this principal. And then like As and then, she does it to get him into school. Exact, she does it for him. She yes. makes this sacrifice for him that he doesn't he never comprehends or understands. No, and it's like, but yet he mimics the principal, when he comes out, is like, uh, uh, uh. it's like, what is happening? I know. So much today. This I, is a cringe day. But I was like, this movie alternates between super dark and super stupid so many times, and I'm like, what if super dark and super stupid all the same? Thing? Well, I mean, what if it's a bit uh, of both? <laughs> but I mean, there is like, there are things that bug me about this movie on on a scripting level, right? When he's running across the country back and forth, it's like. A local man? No, he's not a local man. He's been on the cover of Fortune magazine. He's a huge CEO. He's a famous person. He's not a local man. Like, let's 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 let's, let's lock down some stuff. You would almost say the amazing football player, the war hero, and now the fucking CEO of this giant company. You left out ping pong champion yes. who went to China. As you said in your intro, this 1994, this is when we get Google or whatever we got, Yahoo. Yeah. People couldn't search. This whole movie is a tribute to what we what happened when people could just disappear. But, but look, I or mean... Or when journalism is bad. No, I, 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 I disagree. You can't put a character who is this successful and go a local man. He's run the country three times. I simply like, well, what's his name? Well, let's figure it out. Like, I mean... You Forrest can have a Gump. journalist. There's a million Forrest Gumps. We uh, can't recognize yeah. that. They want to have their cake and eat it too in this movie. They want to like change the perspective based on what they want. Now, can I tell you? I watched that monologue scene that you just played. I'll cry at this movie like four times. I'm not going to lie about that. Like Every time you're going to zoom in on somebody giving you a dramatic monologue about what they learned in their life, you know, like Bubba, sure, I'm going to cry. Lieutenant Dan, you got it. I'm going to cry. That scene, I got to cry. Like, I'm, you're going to get, like, it works. The movie works. It, like, But it's infuriating because it's lazy to me. It's a lazy movie to me. It's like, but it checks every box and it's going to make you happy. And I don't know why I rail against it, but that's what I feel. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's really hard to figure out this movie from the very beginning, from this first talk that his mom gives him about, is he different? Is he special? Mm -hmm. Remember what I told you, Forrest. You're no different than anybody else is. 
Did you hear what I said, Forrest? You're the same as everybody else. You are no different. Your boy's different, Ms. Gump. His IQ is 75. Well, we're all different, Mr. Hancock. Well, you get this big lecture at the beginning that's like, you are inspirational because you are just part of the human race. You right. are no different. You are no more special than anybody else. But this whole movie is about how he is exceptionally different from well, everybody else. And that he lives this exceptional life that nobody else lives. And it's and it's not like his innocence makes him special. It's oddly his ability to adhere to rules. Like, that's the only thing that he consistently does in this movie. Do this. Say this. He does it. He says it. Like, you know, we have a guy who's a shrimp boat captain who at one point literally runs off a boat that is moving in the water to greet Lieutenant Dan and we're leaving him with a child at the end? This is like the thing that I get upset about because what do, like I need to ground it into something here. I'm getting I'm getting angry like I get angry the minute I see him open up that stupid suitcase in the beginning and it's like a video game character where like all the things that he's collected throughout his life are in that little suitcase. I mean, isn't it interesting by the way that when you see that feather float down that kind of symbolic I'm on the breeze yeah. feather that one of the first things you see is a steeple and then a church because there's a quiet bit of faith underneath oh, this. quiet? That he's religious. Oh. Well, he doesn't ever question his religion. He doesn't ever seem to lean on it. He just has a belief he's well, he going goes, to heaven. Well, he also prays for shrimp. There's a lot of religion in he this movie. Pra- he prays for cooked shrimp because they are dumping pink, headless, cooked shrimp, cocktail <laughs> shrimp on that duck, which well, I find fascinating. But anyways, he puts the feather in a book that he says later is his favorite book, Curious George, when he is the opposite of curious. He's, he is yeah, the definition of incurious. He doesn't ask a single question. He just goes with the flow. I mean, he is literally that feather being pushed by the wind, and the wind takes him wherever. But, you know, the most aggressive thing that he does in this film, he does two aggressive things. Runs. And that's not really aggressive, but it's, I guess, an active choice. Uh, And then punching that guy at the Black Panther rally. I mean, you know, there was a whole section that they cut out (laughs) about Martin Luther King where, like, he saves Martin Luther King from, like, attack dogs. Yeah, actually, Uh, do you want to listen to the screenwriter explain why he cut it out? Yes. One scene we shot, which was the very first day of shooting, if I'm right, Jenny and him were walking along, it was supposed to be a train track or a, or a bridge. They're like about to go to college and okay. he's bemoaning the fact that she got in college and he didn't. And they hear a bunch of noise up top. Mm-hmm. And they go up and they see that the Selma march is happening. It was sweet, but probably a little bit disrespectful, maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know. And also, I don't think Tom's accent was quite right. It was the first time he tried it. I do remember hearing about this. I, I think I think the scene was that these there were dogs that were going to yes, attack yeah, yeah. MLK in the protest. Yeah, and, and Tom said, you dogs go home. He knew the dogs yeah, yeah. from his town. Yep. And uh, I think we felt it was, pro- we, went, uh, we went a bridge too far. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, yeah. Yeah, you think? You think? Too far. Uh, Well, you know, it's interesting about the accent. You know, Tom didn't want to do that kind of strong Southern accent, but Robert Zemeckis really convinced him to do it, and he mimicked that young, uh, the young Forrest, uh, Michael Connor. But I actually have a screen test with him and Jenny where you hear him not really doing the accent. Action. Forrest? Hi there. Hi. Hi. I brought you something. Thank you. Mama sent me $10, and I'd like to spend it all on you. 
Wait, but, I feel like Sheriff Woody is 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 bringing me chocolate <laughs> that I don't want. Well, I mean, but you see, I think if he did that voice, he's more approachable. To your point, I think this southern accent and being slow creates a very interesting picture. And I, and I, ho- I hope I'm using that term correctly. I, I'm saying slow. I don't know. He's below... Uh, state accepted limits for public school. I mean, that's all we really kind of know because he's you. He gets to use a weapon in this movie. He is a fighter. He runs a company. Like he's also not like a guy who's like I just use common sense. Like he doesn't often use common sense either. He just seems like he's simply unaware of what's going on in Vietnam. Just simply unaware. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it is really interesting. That's why I like to mention right up at the top that Winston Groom was a vet himself and a big military historian because. This really does go hard on the military. They say mm-hmm. the military tells Forrest Gump and he tells us that they say he's perfect for the military because he doesn't question anything. Yeah. That is a dark, dark statement. And he actually, in the second book, I can't, I mean, I really want to tell you everything that happens in the second book. I, I but in the second it. book, there's a lot of anti military stuff where he gets uh, tricked by Oliver North while he's being homeless into helping him go to Iran and convince the Ayatollah oh, to God. do the Iran Contra scheme. What? This is after he plays football uh, professionally. What? Um, yeah, and then like he gets what? Locked, he gets locked in prison um, by the military because Oliver North rats him out. And he kills out. Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> he gets locked in prison because Oliver North li- like Oliver North is so bad in this book that I can't believe that the NRA just. I mean, the NRA seems like they would like a Forrest oh, yeah, Gump novel. Right. They Dang, hired him after me. reading this book. He is one of the villains of this book. Then uh, when he gets out, they're like, "You, oh, actually, you were secretly reenlisted by Oliver North, so you have to go back into the military uh, rig. Uh, and uh. then he gets transferred to Germany. He meets this beautiful German girl. He knocks down the German wall on accident, the Berlin Wall. He gets sent to Iraq. And he gets sent to Iraq. Amy, he cap- No, I want to keep going. <laughs> he captures Saddam Hussein. What? No. Yeah. During the first Gulf War. But then the American troops let him go for some reason. And then as he's in a tank with Lieutenant Dan, and he has this orangutan named Sue. He's in this tank with Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan's back in action? He has no legs? Oh, yeah. I meant to get to that. He runs into Lieutenant Dan on the street somewhere in the Middle East where Lieutenant Dan and his orangutan Sue are hanging out getting money somehow by, like, panhandling. Anyway, so they all get in this tank in Iraq. And they're driving back after having to release Saddam Hussein. And uh, they get attacked by American friendly fire, and their tank blows up, and Lieutenant Dan dies in combat, and he's very happy to die in combat. Like, he's like, Oh, finally, he got his wish. Yeah, and then their military officer, no, Schwarzkopf. Schwarzkopf, isn't you remember Schwarzkopf? Yes, I do, I do, yes, yes. Schwarzkopf gives Forrest Gump two, as he calls them, plastic cans with an American flag sticker on it that have Sue's ashes and Lieutenant Dan's ashes. And the darkest line, I think, in the book is Forrest Gump says, I said thank you, although I didn't know for what. Oh God! I mean, and I don't want—I don't want to make this a referendum on Gump and Co. because that sounds like garbage. No, but, I love Gump and Co. because Gump and Co. is a fuck you to this movie. Well, I mean, is it or is it just like so? The first book is like a satire, and the second book is like, you want this America? Here you go. Because I believe he also invents new Coke. In the new book. Yeah, what happens in the new book, I listened to this whole book on audio tape for you. Oh, I appreciate that. Except for the last five minutes. I've saved them. I haven't haven't listened to them yet. Uh, In the book, he is selling encyclopedias door to door. He gets taken into the home of a rich woman whose husband is an inventor of Coke. Or he's a current um, employee of Coke. She offers him a can of new Coke. He says it's awful. So he goes to the kitchen and he starts adding spices. She's meanwhile trying to have sex with him. She's like changing into something more comfortable and he's oblivious to that. 
He starts adding all these things from the kitchen into this horrible Coke. He invents new Coke. It's actually pretty good. And then he forgets what he did. So then the husband brings him to Atlanta to try to remake the whole thing. They rebuild the lady's entire kitchen. He can never quite figure out the new what? Coke formula. So after a month or two of being locked in Atlanta, not getting paid, he's like, here, I think this is good. And he's lying about it. But they're like, sure. And they do a big ceremony and everybody has a sip of the Coke. And then the kid's like, this is garbage and there's a riot. Thank God for Tom Hanks saying no to a sequel to this movie. Like, I want a sequel to this. I want that movie. I want the movie that's like everything in America is kind of bad. You were talking about this idea of it's a confusing film, and it starts off in the beginning being confusing. And what you're saying here about everything being bad, there's a line at the top of the movie, and I wanted to ask you about this, where, you know, Sally Field, who I love, I love everybody in this movie. Robin Wright's fantastic in this movie. There, there It's across the board, solid performances. When Sally Field says she named him after a famous Ku Klux Klan leader to remind him that sometimes we aren't perfect. I mean, that's like the <laughs> gist of what she's saying. I'm confused about that. That he's supposed to walk around through life being, yes, I'm Forrest. I'm named after Nathan General Forrest. A man who I looked at, by the way, he's responsible for the massacre of Fort Pillow, where he uh, slaughtered, crucified, burned Union soldiers alive. And one of his own men described it as, quote, Blood, human blood stood about in pools and brains could have been gathered about in any quantity. Well, so, so he has to go around in the South being like, I'm named for that man, but because he could have done better and we can all do a well, little no better. Well, no one's perfect. No one's no perfect. One's perfect. Like it's, it's not like I'm there to well, reclaim. You know, it's like no one's perfect. It's like, it's Nazi like saying Nazi like, is as Nazi does. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Look, I just am very critical of this film. I think especially against the landscape of what we've been talking about here on this list. Um, you know, it it just feels like a lot of lazy choices to kind of show off this technology, which is impressive. And I think the most lasting effect of this film is the CGI, right? Like this opens up a world of a new way that we make film. And it's still to this day, this movie comes out in what, 94, like I said, um, looks good. It's pretty damn good, and and they are really clever about how they do it. Like you don't see Elvis's face, uh, and you know, and the way they do the lip movement on like uh, Lyndon B. Johnson and Richard Nixon. By the way, I was thinking about this a lot. He's on that bench telling these stories. Now we're watching the visual images. If you were just to listen to him on the bench, you would not know that he was talking about Elvis. Like you wouldn't be able to picture anything or any of the irony, which is why I guess it's good that he has that kind of very literal on the nose narration. I said this, who said this? Then they said this to me. But he, yeah, but, but like it's not like like I love this autobiography that was written by Rob Lowe because he'll be like, you know, I was talking to this guy who's making an interesting sci-fi film in his garage, <laughs> and the models are so intricate and complex. That movie. Star Wars, that man, George Lucas. You know, so he never does anything like that. He never goes, and that man, they called him the king, Elvis Presley. He never he never seems to understand what he saw. And also I'm like, so Elvis, his whole worldview is based on making fun of a cripple kid? Is that what we're is that the other part of this? Is like Elvis is like, oh man, I saw this cripple kid. It's so fun. I'm going to dance like this cripple kid. Makes me go like, fuck you, Elvis. Well, if we're talking about a vague parallel to that, I mean, one of the CG things that you see here in the history is a moment where Nixon really does present like a Congressional Medal of yeah. Honor to a soldier. They they did take out the soldier's face through mm -hmm. VFX. They put in Forrest Gump's face. And I was really laughing because we just found out 
this week that Trump did the same thing with one of his Congressional Medal of Honor yes. winners and a dog. Dog, I so saw that. So that is the Forrest Gump see? influence still happening today. We're still doing it. That. that is the Forrest Gump move. Did you see the uh, the dog's medal was a paw? Uh, it, it wasn't a traditional thing. No. At least the one that I saw, the picture of it, it was like a big paw. Um, the only time that the CGI... <laughs> they should give that one a forest. You'd be like, now look, isn't that pretty? Oh, that doesn't look like my hand. Um, the one place where the CGI falls apart is the Dick Cavett show. Clearly, they got Dick Cavett to do his own voice because the only voice that is spot on. But um, he looks odd next to John Lennon. John Lennon... They haven't quite figured out proportions, but John Lennon looks like a giant man. His head is so much bigger. Uh, and it was, an, it was, and by the way, <laughs> I love, I love this scene on the Dick Cavett show because he goes on there to talk about ping pong. And then they have this, like, they're trying to shoehorn in some fucking John Lennon thing. You know, he gets shot. Okay, sure. We have to hit, we got to, you know, tap that. But they take a reflexive moment for John Lennon to talk about like, you know, a place where they don't have religion and, and, you know, he's making a comment about China, but the camera just kind of zooms in on John Lennon, just like staring off into the distance. Like that didn't happen. You would never have someone just staring off on the side like that's not a talk show thing but but it's for the audience to be like oh yeah john lennon man john lennon i was like this movie is to me the it has the emotional relevance of a greatest hits album it's like yes well it I is a greatest hits album it's yes. every greatest hit song ever played at the most obvious moment that that song was supposed I to be played it. i had that you know, like jenny set. walks out and it's like don't you love her as yeah. she's yeah. walking out the door <laughs> but no i mean there is kind of an interesting thing that this movie is in a way, the history of all these people killed by gun violence. Oh, he keeps yes. naming person. Assassination. That person got assassinated. Yeah. That George person Wallace, got assassinated. Yeah. That person Reagan. got assassinated. That person got shot. Uh, but I do love hearing like the special effects features from this moment because they are so excited when talking about how they did anything. I just pulled one that I enjoy about ping pong. And this ping pong game was filmed without the ball, which was added later in the computer. As great a ping pong player as Tom Hanks is, he's not as good as what Forrest has to become. So we did that using movie magic. I mean, I love that. And I've also heard if you watch the ping pong ball very, very closely, you see moments where he doesn't hit it or he hits it with his arm on accident or where he puts it on a table and then picks it back up again and it's not there. He just did the motion, but they forgot to oh, add the ball. Oh, wow. I mean, and look, Zemeckis is at the forefront of all this stuff. Whether you like it or you don't, we talked about how he wanted to do a Yellow Submarine movie. Uh, I've watched Polar Express because my kids love trains and Christmas. I, I just think I appreciate a filmmaker who um, is trying to, Me too. you know, do this stuff. And I, and I, mean, I Back love, to the Future and Death Becomes Her. Yes. I'm, I am all in on Robert Zemeckis. And what this movie really is bringing to the table is CGI. Like, modern day CGI. Then put in Terminator 2, you cowards. Yes. Just put in Roger Rabbit. But, but I think it's really interesting to see this movie in the context of the 90s, you know, because this is a book written in the 80s mm -hmm. and then not greenlit in the 80s because they thought all of a sudden there were too many Vietnam War films. Because right. there were. Like, we've already covered Platoon on this show, and I've talked about Born on the Fourth of July being, to me, the superior film. So this movie was not made the way the book was intended to do with its negative military stuff. I think in part because there was too much military stuff happening already in cinema. So when they finally make it in the 90s, in what we consider to be, like, a more mellow time where war is like you go to Iraq for a month and then everybody comes right. this home. Is, this sort of is like the American Clinton America. This is a very interesting point in in, in, yeah. in our culture. So I think it's interesting to see in that context of America kind of patting itself on the back more, which is what we were doing yeah. in the 90s, taking this like slow victory lap or maybe taking like the long-winded year-long victory lap back and forth like Forrest does. And so it's, I'm fascinated by how much this movie really struck a chord. You know, like, well, I'll just let Bob Dole talk about it. There is a call 
as demand, a demand as strong as any in our free market for things that affirm our lives instead of cheapening life, things that lift up our country instead of dragging it down, things that appeal to the best in the human heart and not the worst. And just look at the box office receipts. What do they tell us? Americans hailed the adventure and courage of Apollo 13. We love the faithfulness and humility of Forrest Gump. And the most popular babe in Hollywood is a pig that goes by that name. Wow, wow. This, by the way, is By the way, I feel like that was badly written. I feel like he should have ended on babe. Yeah, Yeah. that's hard. This is part of a half-hour speech he gave in Congress about why he hated the movie Striptease and why we needed more movies like Forrest Gump. It's pretty fascinating. If you want to listen to the whole thing, it is actually online. But in the interest of fair play... Bob Dole is, of course, running for president the year after Forrest Gump came out for the the campaign of 96. Hillary also got into the act. This is Hillary from a video in 1995. Hi. My name's Hillary. Hillary Gump. You can call me Hillary Rodham Gump. That's what everybody calls me, except on the Connie Chung show. You know, that's my house back there. My mama always told me the White House is like a box of chocolates. It's pretty on the outside, but inside there's lots of nuts. Mama always gave me good advice. She told me life is like a regional health care alliance. If you pool your risks with a community health purchasing cooperative and mix in a prospective payment review, you can reach an ideal cost containment ratio while leaving the single-payer system available. Now that's good advice. (laughs) Wow, Amy, you've done it. You've done, done it. Wow, you found the clip that broke me. Um, Wow, but I mean, but look, look, of course they're parroting him. like, like, Like Forrest Gump, it becomes, I mean, I was thinking Forrest Gump is our Borat. Like he is, he is Borat without the comedy, right? It's like, I was like, it, it's, he's dressed in a similar outfit, running around the country, doing stuff, talking about America. Uh, and, and it's so funny. Everyone wants to get on the act. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a movie like this. I honestly, I don't believe there's anything wrong with making a movie like this, but I also don't think it needs to be held up in a way because I think what it does is it whitewashes our culture. And I think we can make interesting statements and I think we can be satirical. But what it does is just say, America's great, never question it. We did good. There's no downside. I mean, we we just, we just, it, it, it's like grin and accept it. So we are in this great, we're in this stage where, you know, the country is like, we're happy. There's no problems. We're out of a recession. Right. Although I got to say, don't give me a Forrest Gump sequel. Give me a Jenny, like, let me That's see the, the Jenny movie. Because, I love Robin Wright, uh, and she's great in this movie. And her character, like her character arc, I would say is so much more interesting than no. Jenny should be the real star. I mean, this is everything that happens to Jenny. She's molested. She fights back. She gets herself to college. She's thrown out of her college. By the way, her dorm is named Margaret Mitchell after Gone with the Wind. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's thrown out for posing nude. Uh, she's picked up to do burlesque kind of performances by this sleaze bag. 
in a moment that I think was a lot like Nashville, honestly. Yeah. She's yes. playing the guitar. People, men are just throwing stuff at her. They want her to strip. You know, she has a lot of issues with suicide, wavering back and forth. She joins up what with What a these great hippies. scene. And again, as far as Zemeckis is great, like his ability to shift between tone and style like he really captures all these styles yeah. beautifully and that scene when she's balancing on that roof it's so uh lethal weapon one opening which i just love again it's another suicide it, it just brings you to an era i love it it's so good yeah she takes acid she panhandles on hollywood boulevard right by gene harlow star she signs up with the black panthers to help them she leaves her dude. She does coke. She does heroin. She makes all these active choices. She becomes a single mom. She gets her life together. She does things. She proposes to Forrest. Yeah. And the movie kind of says, and look what happened. She dies. You know, it, it it's like, don't make any active choices with your life. Don't try to be part of the culture. Just be out of the culture. I, I mean, she arguably is going through culture as much as Forrest, but... But, but she's aware of she's it. Aware. She's aware. And she's something. being changed by it. She literally is being sculpted by the world around her, where Forrest is kind of a blunt object going through the world. And and, and, to and that's me, why I think it's kind of dangerous, this film, a little bit. A little bit because, you know, when it comes out in 94, this movie is basically like, we need good American values, mm -hmm. people who represent liberals. People like, who don't say, ask questions, yeah. yeah. Yeah, people who represent liberal choices and smoking weed are doomed mm -hmm. and in 94 this is the year that you get the republican revolution this is the year that america takes another swing back to the right this is the year that george w bush who is very forrest gump gets elected in texas i mean there's kind of a celebration of dumb american idiocy that starts to happen it, it, i mean and again because he's so lovable you don't question there's what could be wrong with forrest he's a lovable guy i mean that's why like i think my favorite scene in the movie maybe is when he ends his running trek and he's built up this this following, you know, sort mm -hmm. of like a messiah of jogging. And he, again, has nothing to say. Nothing to say. Nothing to Why say. Why did he run? Just nothing he to wanted say. to. And I want to listen to that because this is, I think, an example. You know, we, we play a lot of clips here of, like, sound design and cool yeah. sounds. This one has a lot of silence in it, but I'm really impressed with how the movie uses silence. Quiet. Quiet. He's going to say something. I'm pretty tired. Think I'll go home now. Now what are we supposed to do? And just like that, my running days was over. Yeah, I mean, I respect that they, they actually, Robert Zemeckis, let that scene have the emptiness that I think it deserves. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that they stage it, you know, kind of in a Monument Valley, beautiful John Ford, all-American hero type place where he is the opposite of a hero. But I found myself really moved to realize that there are people who have kind of picked up this mantle and, again, done it for a good reason. Like this guy, Barkley Odersloys. 23-year-old Barkley Odersloys is running across America about 3,200 miles in 100 days. The goal is to raise awareness and money to highlight the plight of global poverty. He's calling it Project Gump, and he's looking to raise $10,000 
for the STEPS Foundation. The group has already invested $50,000 in microloans in East Africa, built a well in Mozambique, and rebuilt a maternity clinic in Senegal. Barclays started his run in Santa Monica, California on May 9th and will finish in Maine on August 16th. Now, I want to say I don't want to make like a total generational warfare of it, but I do like that Barclay Oderslice, who was 23 when he did this in 2015, is kind of a sign of a millennial being like, boomers, I'm going to really do this for real. I'm going to make I'm going to put my feet where you didn't. I love that. And, and, and I think this is where this movie is also interesting because this is, I think, one of the biggest, uh, most interesting things that the film is saying. Like, we often look to people to be these godlike figures, you know, like, oh, they have the answers and we're going to follow them everywhere. And he doesn't have the answers. And I think that's really a, a, an interesting statement. I wish, though, that there was a sentiment behind it. You know, this is based off of this guy um, who actually ran from New Jersey to San Francisco to raise awareness for the American Cancer Society. And, you know, the line that Farr says, you know, I, I, I sleep when I'm tired, I, I eat when I'm hungry, and I go to the bathroom when I have to go, is based on him. And, you know, I think they kind of co-opted this story and they took it, but they took away the the element of doing it for a reason. And this is, again, what happens throughout this movie. They take away all the reasons. So it's like, if he was protesting Vietnam... I'm like, all right, that's interesting. Like he did, like that's the way he could do it. He could just run, but he's just he just runs because he wants to run. It's yeah. weird. It's I mean, a weird choice. To me, the moment that he has in this film that I think is closest to a really beautiful philosophy is when Jenny asks him if he was scared when he was in Vietnam. Like mm. I really love this scene. You know, I mean, you know that I'm not religious, but if I am at all, I'm very like I, I worship the planet. Yeah. And the way he describes it, I find beautiful. Were you scared in Vietnam? Yes. What? Well, I, I don't know. Sometimes it would stop raining long enough for the stars to come out. And then it was nice. It was like just before the sun goes to bed down on the bayou. Those old million sparkles on the water. Like that mountain lake that was so clear, Jenny. It looked like there were two skies, one on top of the other. And then in the desert, when the sun comes up, I couldn't tell where heaven stopped and the earth began. It was so beautiful. I wish I could have been there with you. You were. But again, you ask him what it was like to be in Vietnam, and he's like, "I I like the sunsets. I like sunsets. Like, like what is what kind of Miami point of view is this? It's like they, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, like that's what your takeaway from Vietnam was that it, it's it, it's pretty. Okay, fair, fair, fair. To be honest, I didn't re-listen to that clip because. I had to go get something from the hallway. Uh-huh. And I wanted to surprise you. Oh, Amy. I got you Bubba Gump delivery. Okay, well, first of all, Amy, <laughs> I have a very interesting history with Bubba Gump. Oh, first no. of all, thank you for this. Bubba Gump delivery. Um, if you listen to my episode of the Doughboys, I talk about this a little bit. I did 
Bubba Gump on the Doughboys. And Bubba Gump holds a special place in my heart because um, when I was in New York, I thought it was funny uh, to take agents and managers there to meet me. Like I'd be like, they're like, oh, we'll take you out to dinner. I'm like, take me to the Bubble Gump Shrimp Company. I just love the idea that I would make them like, they would like to go to like, you know, whatever, you know, like, you know, Peter Luger's. Well, not anymore after that. just decimation uh, in the New York Times. But I thought it was so funny to be like, no, no, I need to be taking out a bubble gump. So I, I, I'm I, a fan. Amy, will you join me in having a, a, a bubble I gump? I would love. Now, I want you to know that I ordered uh, the Heavenly Shrimpers. Okay. Because I thought it was really funny that it's heavenly because everybody in this movie dies pretty much except well, for Forrest. Um, especially Bubba himself is dead. So I thought we should have the dead Bubba Shrimp. Oh, I love this. And you know what? While you brought out this Bubba Gump, I brought a clip about Bubba Gump. Michael T. Williamson uh, was actually um, accosted by TMZ outside the LAX airport and asked about what he thought about Bubba Gump Shrimp Co. because it is named after his character. And let's uh, take a little listen. Yeah, let's listen to this and then let's listen to Bubba just go through all the shrimp. I've never been to one of those restaurants. Really? Yeah, I have no interest in going. Right. People think those are my restaurants, but they're not. Those are actually um, licensed by Viacom, which is Gulf right. Western Oil. The people probably have no idea they're supporting an oil company. Like, oh uh, no, I'm supporting an oil company? So Amy, he just served you up. You just supported an oh, oil company. No. Well, let's listen to him anyway. Anyway, like I was saying, shrimp is the fruit of the sea. You can barbecue it, boil it, brawl it, bake it, saute it. There's um, shrimp kebabs. Shrimp Creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir fried. There's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp. Shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes, shrimp burger, shrimp sandwich. That's, that's about it. Now, I have heard, by the way, that um, Michael T. Williamson said that this role actually hurt his career for a really long time. Really? Yeah, that the way he said it is like, people saw this movie, everybody saw this movie, but instead of thinking, I want to hire that guy, they think, oh, wow, how crazy that Robert Zemeckis found some weird-looking guy to do this one-off role. And they all thought that lip uh, device he was wearing to make his lipstick out bigger was real. What a terrible fate. And obviously, no one thought that of Tom Hanks because they know he's the known commodity. He is... Uh, fantastic in this movie. Again, uh, a solid, solid performance. Um, and he dies like everybody else. Uh, Farce Gump is the kiss of death. He is the Spider Woman in this uh, in this in this world. He is. Uh, but I have a question about like actually Bubba's death because you know Bubba and Forrest are kind of presented as two parallels, two guys who aren't too bright who wind up in the military. In the book, they're actually friends from the football field. They wind up in the military together. But Bubba dies and Forrest doesn't. You know, here they are presented identically. But Bubba is the man without the luck, and Forrest is the man who takes all the luck. And I was wondering, like, in Bubba's big death scene, I'm not even sure if Bubba knows he's dying. Hey, Bubba. Hey, Forrest. Forrest. What just happened? You got shot. Then Bubba said something I won't ever forget. I want to go home. Bubba was my best good friend. And even I know that ain't something you can find just around the corner. Bubba was going to be a shrimp and boat captain, but instead he died right there by that river in Vietnam. 
And again, he's affected by a death, but what does he learn? Not that war is bad and that young soldiers die. It's like, oh, well, I need to carry on this tradition and become a shrimp boat captain. And it's weird. You have a movie... I think there's other movies out there that do this better, like jump through history. And because they have a point of view, what are we saying? If we're going to if we're gonna do a greatest hits of history, what's the perspective on it? And the perspective here is sort of like weirdly celebratory. It, it, like, it, like, you know, uh, Zelig, uh, Being There, these are movies that have similar, Being There especially, uh, very similar themes. But if you're going to crisscross America, you're going to really make a statement like, I mean, even the history of the world, the Mel Brooks movie, I think, has a, a cleaner or a, a clearer point of view about what, what's going on or or a point of view. I still don't think this movie has a point of view. Oh, well, yeah, because it cuts right from this to him eating ice cream and having zero PTSD at all. At oh, yeah. All. yeah. Well, we see everything that Lieutenant Dan is going through. Lieutenant Dan feeling like he was robbed of his destiny and now he's robbed of his legs. And the anger, like, it's fascinating to me that this movie really does see the anger in Lieutenant Dan, but it doesn't really want to deal with it. That much. I mean, it's a lot of like wow and razzle dazzle. And I love that Ricky Jay, a magician that I know you and I like yeah. a lot, was the person who helped come up with the blue fabric over the legs thing to make it all work properly. But honestly, I think this movie is totally fine if you just get distracted, you know, being like, oh, I get the the little the little Easter egg that you put right there. Let's just listen to it because I know people get it right away. Living in a hotel, and because he didn't have no legs, he spent most of his time exercising his arms. Everybody's talking at me. What do you do here in New York, Lieutenant Dan? I'm living off the government tip. People stopping. Suck it. The only thing that would have made that clip better is if you pan the camera over to a young Dustin Hoffman who went, huh. <laughs> And that would have been, like, interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, my favorite uh, young Dustin Hoffman reference, though, is this one. I'm going to believe that this is a young Dustin Hoffman reference. I just want you to put all the emotions of this film over this moment. President Johnson awarded four medals of honor to men from each of the armed services. America owes you a debt of gratitude, son. I understand you were wounded. Where were you hit? In the buttocks, son. Uh... Oh, that must be a sight. I'd kind of like to see that. I would kind of like to see that. I would kind of like to see that. Given that this is the Mrs. Robinson song and a movie that's already proven that it knows its whole backdrop yeah. of Dustin Hoffman hits, I imagine that LBJ saying, like, I'd like to see that is LBJ being Mrs. Robinson to Forrest Crump. What do you think? You know what? I'll take it because that line rang so false to me. What would you ever say to anybody? I would like to see that. Why? Why would you like to see this? like it? Like it's not like he goes, you know. I have webbed toes. Oh, interesting. I've never seen that. Like, I'd like, to see, like, why would you say I'd like to see your your bullet hole in your ass? Like, I mean, I'd be like, fascinated what? if you asked somebody to see their webbed toes. I mean, it, it, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It, like, but like, just say like, it, I don't know why. He's like, oh, interesting. I'd like to see that. Why? Well, what? Why? Why? Like, I like. I'm a curious person. I don't think I need to see that. I don't I don't feel like that that's an exceptional injury. Yeah, I'm going to let Tom Hanks answer the why. I was, let's, I was I had done not the workouts, but I had worked out quite a bit and it was all about running and I must say that my my buttocks as as Forrest would say <laughs> were as firm as tinned hams. They were just, they were just the I'm mean, like I've seen the movie and I've seen it and every now and again if it comes by on 
on the cable. Uh, my wife will say, Let, just leave it here, honey. I just, I just want, to see the, want to see that one scene where you're running away from the camera. And we can look at that fine Hank's ass. <laughs> In the day, man, it was, it was, I mean, I must say, I even think it's a beautiful thing to behold. It's a I good mean, ass. What if Tom Hanks is truly America's ass? <laughs> I mean, look, I think that uh, Tom Hanks solidifies himself as the everyman by doing this part. Like we said, like from here forward, from 94 forward, you could put Tom Hanks in anything and you feel safe and trusted with him. Big, yes, he's in there, but that's still like off of Man With One Red Shoe. Like he's still doing interesting stuff. Um, and I think from this moment forward, he goes in this direction where we now know him. And, you know, I, I think always bringing an amazing performance. He, look, we talked about this when we talked about Sons of the Lambs. Only he, I think, could do Philadelphia. You know, that acceptance of that, you know, a gay man with AIDS at that time, you know, he does exceptional work. But I think that this movie really, you know, he can't do any wrong. And we love him and he talks about it all the time. And at the beginning of this clip that you just pulled, because they pulled the same one, he's like, oh, yep, every interview will circle back to Forrest Gump. And <laughs> and it is like as a, a guy who has a gigantic, uh, you know, filmography, it is probably the first thing that most people think of. It, it just, it's like, because it's iconic. The role is iconic. And it's a shame because I don't think it's his best performance. I think it's a... a it's he's, fine, He's yeah. fine, but it's not his best performance. No, I mean, I honestly think he's better in Big. And I think Big, you know, the, the female character in Big, the Jenny of that movie, who has her own life, is like a working woman who falls in love with a man who's kind of bad to her in the ways that she's used to almost men being a little bad to her. And Gentry realizes it's, it's because he's incredibly immature and in the way that all the men in her life have been really immature. I think Big is more interested in the Elizabeth Perkins character than this film is in the Jenny character. I mean, would, let's just talk about it right now. Would you put Big on this list versus this movie? Honestly, having just rewatched Big, that movie is fantastic. Yeah. And the only reason I wouldn't say immediately yes, yes, is because I think Penny Marshall had a bunch of good films. And so Absolutely. I'd be torn. I mean, I'm probably a League of Their Own person slightly more. Another great Tom Hanks yeah. performance. A great time, but they're all good. I think people need to rewatch Big if they haven't seen it in a minute. But also, I wonder if casting Tom Hanks in this at all encouraged Robert Zemeckis and Eric Roth to soften the book because I pulled out one clip because we were talking about all these movies on the AFI list that are referenced in this film. I pulled out a clip from the book, from the original book, the original Forrest Gump, where Forrest and Jenny go to see the movie Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, wow. And I wanted to read his his review of Bonnie and Clyde. And then I wanted you to picture this and picture, like, could you have even done this scene if Tom Hanks was in it? If Tom Hanks had done this scene, could this movie even have, have launched his career in the direction that it did? So this is Forrest's description of Bonnie and Clyde. There was a lot of shooting and killing. Well, I laughed a lot. But when I did, people looked at me and Jenny got down lower and lower in her place. Once I thought she was on the floor and I put my hand on her shoulder to pull her up, but I pulled her dress and it came open and she screamed. <laughs> what? Yeah, and that scene ends with um, him getting arrested at the theater for ripping Jenny's clothes off and then being thrown in prison. And it's while he's in prison that a person comes and says, you should maybe play football. You got to get out of town. Come to my college. Okay, well, you know what, Paul? I need to punish you with something. Okay. okay. Oh, because I brought some stuff to punish you today. Oh, no. Yeah, so we're going to have double punishment today as we talk about oh, this. Oh, God. Film. Well, th- I think this is a cute punishment. I okay. was just, I got really into watching old news clips of things related to Forrest Gump because there are, in fact, so many news clips in yeah. Forrest Gump. Uh, then I also pulled up this little guy. 
When we first took you to the Humane Association of Warren County, you saw 18 dogs rescued from deplorable conditions in Southeast Ohio, many with injuries due to abuse. The most heart-wrenching of the lot was perhaps Lieutenant Dan, who through severe injury or neglect may have been forced to chew off his own legs. But that was last week. This morning, Lieutenant Dan got a new wheelchair and one look at him and you can tell the world has opened up. Wow, Lieutenant Dan, you know, while we're talking about Lieutenant Dan, you know, Lieutenant Dan lives on in more ways besides this dog. Um, you know that Gary Sinise has taken Lieutenant Dan moniker and created a band, the Lieutenant Dan Band. He performs all over the place. And here's a little clip that I think uh, you might enjoy. And so, just so we're clear here, that's not uh, Gary Sinise singing. <laughs> Gary Sinise is the bass player. And the way I found out about the Lieutenant Dan Band is because they do a lot of USO shows. He's very popular, but you can see many a clip of Lieutenant Dan Band playing all across this great nation and overseas. And uh, I salute my, uh, my, I tip my hat to Gary Sinise for actually doing all that work for the troops. I just think it's interesting that he's like, Here's a thing. We've already had the Bubba Gump restaurant. We talked about that. Now I'm going to make a thing called Lieutenant Dan Band, which is based on a character trait that's not associated with my character in the movie at all. But yet I'm doing this. So, all right. But that's how successful this movie is, that he's calling it Lieutenant Dan Band. He, he is not like Gary Sinise and Friends. It's Lieutenant Dan Band. <laughs> well, you win this round. And I do have to say... He looks really happy to be playing bass. Oh, he's he's psyched, and he's uh, he looks like he has a lot of fun. We're talking about bands. I also want to talk about uh, one of my favorite Forrest Gump musical pieces. This is by our friend Weird Al Yankovic. By the way, I think that Weird Al asks the best questions. Like, what is in his head? We don't know. Uh, we do not know. It's the, is it's the... he inbred? <laughs> I mean, it's a fair question. <laughs> I have to be honest. For the first moment, I actually just pictured him in a loaf of bread. I was a little confused, and then I remembered what inbred meant. Um, but this is a you know, this is a very big, you know, huge film that I think you know you can't get away from its cultural relevance. I mean, we've talked about restaurants and bands and Smithsonian like so there is something to be said for this. Um and it won 6 Oscars. 6, six Oscars. Oh. It was the number 1 movie at the box office for 10 weeks. Wow. 10 weeks. And yet they still said at the end of the day that the movie didn't make money so they didn't have to pay Winston Groom a chunk of the profits. I heard about that because you know it's really interesting the way the profit sharing worked on this movie. Um first of all, Tom Hanks doesn't take any money on this movie, he takes a percentage of the box office, so he gets like forty million dollars. He movie. cut that grass for free, and he <laughs> did the movie for free. <laughs> and then, but you said like Winston Groom, um, he basically was supposed to earn three percent of the film's net profits, but uh, instead of because of all the wrangling there, they just basically they settled by buying the rights to a sequel novel and promising a percentage of the sequel film, which never happened. So Winston yeah. Groom has right to be kind of pissed off and maybe he wrote the book uh 
But did he write the book after the film came out? He did because the very first line in the book is, don't never let anybody make a movie of your life story. And actually, forgive the audio on this. It's no worse than my Forrest Gump impression. Um, it's it's much worse than your Forrest Gump impression. Uh, but I was listening to a little bit of the Gump & Co. audio book. And at the end, Gump & Co. references all of the Oscars. I need to hear this. There's just one more thing to tell. And that is when they decided to make a movie of my life story. That is unusual, even for me. Somebody got wind of the fact that I am an idiot who has made good, and in these days it is what they call a man-bites-dog sort of story. So one day, these Hollywood producers come and inform me I am going to be in the motion pictures. Well, a lot of you know the rest. They done made the show, and everybody all over the world went to see it. Well, finally it become the night to go to the Academy Awards show in California, and I took everybody that was my friends there, and we sat in the audience. I even got to sit with Bubba's folks. And damn if the picture didn't win most of the Academy Awards. And at the end, after they get through thanking everybody else, they decided to thank me, too. They was a Mr. Letterman as the host, a nice feller with big picket teeth and a trick dog and shit. And as the last item on the menu, so to speak, he announces there is a special award for old Forrest Gump for being the most lovable certified idiot in America. And I am called to the stage. And after they give me the award, Mr. Letterman asked if there is anything I would like to say to the TV cameras. And in fact, they is, and I've been saving it up. And so I look out there on all them fancy dresses and expensive jewelry and pretty women and handsome men and says the first thing that comes to my mind, which is, of course, I got to pee. Clearly, he doesn't know how the Academy Awards work. I mean, I don't think they give out the awards for the most lovable idiot. So unless it's a David Letterman bit, which I would doubt would happen at the end of the show because they normally top load the, the bits uh, well, I'm really impressed by your fact-checking, given that in this book, as I already told you, he befriends Saddam Hussein. But you can tell from the way that this is written, you're right. It has a much much more sarcastic point of view. I mean, you He's know— He's using the passive voice, I think, really, really tellingly. Yeah. Like, I, I think there's something really interesting, too, about the, the most famous line, you know, life is like a box of chocolates. The, the line of the book, the first book, is, let me say this, being an idiot is no box of chocolates. That's a very different sentiment. I mean, incredibly different. It's kind of shocking that this movie even gets to say it's based on this book, to be honest, at yeah. a certain point. I think all of the changes in emissions say a lot about what American audiences want to see and what they don't. I mean, you're 100% right. Now, as this film has kind of gone past its time, you know, and we can reflect on it, it's been, I think, viewed the same way that you and I are looking at this film. Um but it, you know, Premier Magazine called it one of its twenty most overrated films of all time. Also on the list, Nashville, Wizard Aww. of Oz, hey. Easy Rider, two thousand and one, and Gone with the Wind. Aww. So this list is a little. Well, well, I don't agree with most of these choices. <laughs> How do you wrestle with a film like this that I think we've not dealt with that culturally is more significant than the film is good? I mean, I think maybe by listening to the people who do love this movie. Okay, yeah. I can only assume as this podcast is going on, we have a lot of people yelling at their stereo. I think it's a time to give them a chance just to yell into the episode and tell us their defense. 
of Forrest Gump? I don't know if I can give you reasons why Forrest Gump should be on the AFI, but I can tell you why I like it as a movie. Um, I think it's a very sweet epic. So a lot of times epic films to me are so sad and so horrible, and Forrest Gump is just a nice, sweet little vision of what one person can achieve in a lifetime. And I think that's that's really that's really nice. I think it's a good message in a film. Um the other thing I really like about it is I love the um the American history that you get throughout the film. It's really cool to watch all of those things in American history happen through the eyes of one person. As a history nerd, it was really cool when I was a kid. I still really like the movie. Um, should it be on the list? I don't know, but uh, I certainly enjoy watching it, um, and I enjoyed watching it again. So Forrest Gump is one of my favorite movies of all time, one of my top ten favorite movies. I love Tom Hanks in that movie. He's brilliant as Forrest Gump. The music is amazing, and I love Forrest in the fact that he remains constant throughout the changing world that he is surrounded by. Forrest Gump is... At least my favorite movie, if not one of the best movies ever made. It is beautiful. It is wonderful to watch. It is emotional, or at least it makes me feel emotional. Um, Tom Hanks is at his most mashable. Robin Wright is beautiful and sad and just lovely and tragic to watch. I grew up on the Gulf Coast. I went to the University of Alabama. Um, I like that feature. It really is revolutionary in terms of special effects. Uh, it's a heartwarming, optimistic story about a truly optimistic character, which I know can be really easy to claim as cheesy in today's cynical world, but uh, it's hard not to get wrapped up in his just good nature. And yes, the history of, that he participates in is a little wonky and maybe a little wrong and could spread the wrong message, but I think the character of Forrest Gump himself spreads all the right messages. Hope you guys are well. Hey guys, so as far as Forrest Gump goes, does it belong on the list? I don't know. But for me, it's it has all of the makings of a decent film, and it's like comfort food. In the same way that like my mom's pancakes aren't really going to win any awards in baking competitions, but because I grew up with them, and they have a special place, and they have all these wonderful things, I will still eat them, even though they're not the best pancakes in the world. On top of that, I think that we can't ignore Zemeckis' attention to detail. You know, like the the fact that the the, the pastor that officiates at, at Forrest and Jenny's wedding is the same pastor that owns, that runs the church that Forrest donated all the money to Bubba's church for the new roof. Or the fact that at the end of the film, he still has the old Gump mailbox that was there for the entirety of the film. You know, or the fact that in every single photo of Forrest taken, his eyes are closed. <laughs> and I just imagine some poor photographer trying to do a spread for Time Magazine or Congressional Medal of Honor winners or whatever, trying to coax this poor man to keep his eyes open for just one photo. And and those kind of details are what the Michaels is known for. And, and I think those things make it a movie that's worth watching just for the entertainment value. Forrest Gump is a film that has generated an exponential amount of criticism, ranging from the snarky comments from outlying critics during its debut to the problematic observations people can easily make today. Despite my agreement with many of these criticisms, I saw this movie during my formative years and cannot seem to unlove it. 
It was telling when I saw The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, another film from the same screenwriter, during my 20s, and got all the same feels that I clearly had a fondness for rich, well-paced narration accompanied by clever editing, gorgeous cinematography, and beautiful music, all in the service of making long passages of time feel like a dance, a song, or something less chaotic than the random craziness that life is. Bottom line, this movie is comfort food that still seems to work for me. When I was growing up, both my grandmothers lived with us, and one of them had severe dementia. And we were lucky. She never got violent. She, she never got crazy, but she would cry a lot. And one of the only things in the world that stopped her crying was we would play our VHS copy of Forrest Gump. And I know that is purely anecdotal evidence, but... I don't actually have a problem with this fairly terrible movie being on the list because it used to stop my grandmother from crying. So that's all. Love your podcast. Thank you so much. Those are really great uh, calls. And I think it, it triggered in me what I have a connection to in this film is that it is, it's a fun movie to watch. It, it, it feels light and nice and sweet and optimistic was a word I really loved. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea how so many callers made the illusion of this film as being food, you know, nourishing them in some sort of a way, like pancakes. Yes. And I think there is a slot for that. I feel like I have films that I would not put on the AFI top list, but I feel, fill me up. Well, I was going to say, like, I wouldn't want to take all the Cracker Barrels off the interstate. I mean, that's that's comfort food. That's the best comfort food. I've never been to one. Amy. You gotta get yourself to a Cracker Barrel. It's so good. It's I mean, so good. Did one of the callers say that this was Tom Hanks at his most smashable? Oh yeah, you didn't feel that. I mean, I got that. <laughs> yeah, Amy. All I wanted to do was ride that. I wanted to ride Forrest Gump into the Bone Zone. Wow, that's a sequel that should exist. <laughs> My name is um, Zone, Bone Zone. Okay, so there's one more call I would like to listen to, though. This is from a, this is a call from somebody very near and dear to our hearts. This is from Kim Troxel. Yes, we love Kim. She is the person behind all of our amazing Photoshops that you see on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, she does one for every one of her f- films, and, and you can actually see all of her work on our website at unspooledpod.com. Yeah, she is 100, 1,000, 1 billion percent the best, and she has her own very personal connection to Forrest Gump. Hey guys, um, it's Kim Troxel. Um, I'm the one that creates the episode art each week. Um, I don't really like Forrest Gump, but I was in college in Savannah while they were filming the movie. Um, we would go watch him film all the time, and they probably CGI'd us out of the background somewhere because we constantly were riding our bikes through the sets just to get to class. Um, but the popularity of the movie really brought a ton more tourism to Savannah and everybody just wanted to come see that bench and uh, it sort of forced the city to really clean up and revitalize a big part of it that was sort of in bad shape and run down and abandoned so even though I don't really like it as a movie and it definitely shouldn't be on a list I sort of have a soft spot for it and probably always will a little bit so anyway thanks guys have a good one I love that point of view, that Forrest Gump as an action of change, as a, a place to, you know, help urban development. I, you know, who would have thought? I, I really like that, too. And you know what? 
I'm just going to pick a random extra whose face I can't see, and I'm just going to decide that is Kim. And it will be Kim in my head forevermore. Well, thank you, Kim. And make sure you follow her on all the uh, social media things, uh, because she's just the best. And we couldn't... uh, have a big part of our show without her, which is those amazing pieces of art. You know, instead of reading a negative review, which we usually do, let's not. I think I think we've we've been yeah. a negative voice. Let's just have that stand as a positive voice. And I do want to say, actually, recently, uh, a website tried to figure out state by state what the most popular films of the '90s were. You know, by looking at like what's what are people watching, what are people renting, in all of these different states. And Forrest Gump does happen to be the number one 90s movie for the people of Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. They all love Forrest Gump still. I will say, by the way, if you want to know the other, the other, the other state facts, here's a couple. Florida likes Men in Black. Ohio liked Home Alone. Colorado says Austin Powers. Alaska says Terminator 2. Oklahoma, of course, says Twister. California, we are the state of Mrs. Doubtfire. In 19 states, most of the East Coast and also my birth state of Michigan, they say Titanic. And look, this movie works. It does work. And and, and listening to everybody say how they feel about it. Um, But can I just say, how much more interesting would this movie have been if someone like Terry Gilliam directed it? Because he was attached. Barry Seinfeld was attached. Terry Gilliam would have been the interesting one. It probably would never have been finished. But um, but, uh, but (laughs) But he's so absurdist. And I think absurdity really fits the tone of the book. We need something here. Yeah, I mean, this movie just takes this story at face value. Right. Absolutely at face value. It's like, Forrest would never lie to us from uh, not telling me how things really were, so America must have been okay, except for all the shootings of famous people. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really, it's a, tr- it's a tricky movie. Out of every film that we've done, and sing a lot, it is, it is the most interesting in the sense of all the boxes it checks positively and negatively. And I don't think I've felt this way while watching a, a film on this list. You know, there are movies that I'm like, ah, yeah, sure, whatever. But you can't just disregard this film. It's not a bad film. I mean, yeah. yeah. It reminds me of why I got into film criticism in the first place, which is as American anthropology. You know, this film making $677 million means it tapped into something about our national culture. And I think by virtue of that, it is important. Yes. And, you know, and and maybe – you know, you can't rail against this or you can't fight against what America deems as an important film. And and that's, I think, an interesting thing. So for that reason, I'm going to say it stays on the list. Oh, for really? me, I'm going to say it stays on the list. Oh, because, no, it's out of there for me. Oh, really? No, okay. no, go, go bye. Uh, what are you talking Okay. Well, you know why? You know why? Is because, this because of the shrimp? Because the shrimp <laughs> is so good. But no, I just, I think you can't neglect, I think you can't neglect that this is an important American film. We're talking about the AFI list, not the Paul and Amy list. The Paul and Amy list, this movie does not go on the list. But the AFI list, I think it has to. As much as I don't love it, I think it's at a, a fine place. I would put it maybe lower. I think I'd put it in the Ben-Hur slot. Let's give it uh, Let's give it 99 or 100. Like, you know, let's get it down there. It is still, to this day, a tourist attraction. It is a, it is a thriving restaurant chain. It is, it is a cultural touchstone, for better or for worse. And... There's not many of those. You know what? When I want to be reminded that this movie exists, I'll just go get some shrimp. Hey, look. I mean, there's so many con. Well, con, you want a coconut shrimp, shrimp salad, shrimp, uh, uh, shrimp Simpsons? By the way, is there a Simpsons? There is absolutely a Simpsons. This is from an episode called Gump Roast. Picture, if you will, Homer Simpson sitting on a bench as a feather falls down towards him aggressively. 
Want a chocolate? Hold it right there, Forrest Plump. This town has laws against impersonating movie characters. I'll behave! <laughs> Luke, I am your father. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Homer does go on to narrate his whole life. <laughs> I want to watch that episode. All right, Amy, next week we are talking about a movie that I've never heard of. Um, the best years of our lives. Have you, have you seen this film before? I have, and I'm excited because you know nothing about this. I know right? nothing. We've been hyping this up as the movie you know nothing about, I, and the, you have done a remarkable Forrest Gumpian job of not looking it up and staying real ignorant. No, I, I'm really trying to appreciate this movie for a first glance, but I, I do find it interesting that on a list of 100 movies, I know 99 of them. I may not have seen 99 of them, but I know 99 of them. This movie I've never heard of. And I'm guessing that many people who listen to the show also have never heard of this movie. So I think we have to go back to our classic, uh, tell us what this movie is, you know, give us your best idea of what uh, the movie, The Best Years of Our Lives is about. I know that it has a man with a hook for a hand because that's on our poster, which you can get at uh, podschwag.com. Um, and you can give us a call at 747-666-5824. That's 747-666-5824. And tell us what you think The Best Years of Our Lives is about. If you've not seen it, if you've seen it, then you know, and, and you're cheating. All right, I look forward to that, Paul. And I look forward to you checking off that last little advent calendar box we got in your head. That's very that's very beautiful. You know, if this show has been like a box of chocolates with a hundred chocolates, I want to know what flavor you think this movie is. Ooh. I think that this movie is a piece of chocolate with a cream inside that you can't quite identify. It's like a little bit silkier. It's like a gusher, but it has like maybe a little mint tinge to it. So you're like, oh, I get it. It's, it is like a candy. It is structurally sound, but it's not a flavor that I want to revisit. Wow. Okay. On what about you? What, what about you? What kind of chocolate is it for you? Forrest Gump? I mean, it's it's a chocolate stuffed with shrimp cocktail. He's eating oh, shrimp Amy, cocktail from you a You gotta jar. play the He's... game. You gotta play the right game. You got you can't just give me a Whitman sample and then go, it's a chocolate shrimp. That's not fair. You gotta shrimp. you gotta pull from the Whitman Make sample. Make me say something else, because oh, I won't. It is right. a chocolate shrimp. You cheated. <laughs> 